Ahoy there, me mates. It be me, Captain Chessbeard of the Tuesday Night Podcast. And ye sailors be in for a treat this episode, because Alan Gearding has special guest Justin Gary on board. <laughs> but also, I be introducing this episode for it be Talk Like a Pirate Day. <laughs> that truly be the reason why it's a special episode. You can count on me interrupting this here voyage. Why? Because it be talk like a pirate, eh? <laughs> and we pirates like to do what we like. Yeah. So without further ado, let's hoist the mizzen and weigh anchor on this here episode of uh, the Tuesday Night Podcast. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast. This is the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and under the gaming table. I'm really excited to share some stories today. With me, I have a little bit of a celebrity crush of mine, but I have Justin Gary with me. Hey! Hey, Hey, it's great to be here, man. A little backstory before we get to know you. I've known you because... You helped me with my life in a major way. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is also my favorite story from my entire game design career. What? Yes, this was the coolest thing that I got to be a part of. You can tell the story, but it was, uh, it was awesome to be able to help you out with this. No surprise, I love Ascension, and so does my wife, but at the time, girlfriend. And so I went ahead and contacted what at the time was Gary Games and said, hey, is it possible for me to propose to my girlfriend using Ascension? You all got your official artist, Eric Sabee, to do artwork of myself and my girlfriend, and I was able to go ahead and play a game of Ascension, filmed it, it's on YouTube, (laughs) Ascension Proposal. I think it's actually called a gaming proposal, but anyway, eventually, card comes up, and it has her image. She pulled it out and says, a ring of GERD, what is this? And then I got down on one knee and proposed. She was more impressed with the damn card than she was with the ring. <laughs> it was so awesome because like everybody out there can relate to this idea of, you know, you games become a part of your life and become a part of your culture, a part of your identity. They're how you grow close to your friends and loved ones and the, you know, the bonding experiences that we all have. And now that I get to make games for a living, like I get to create those experiences for other people. And never has that been more viscerally apparent than in the proposal because not only is it great and i have been you know there have been ascension wedding toppers uh, people have gotten ascension tattoos people have gotten you know cosplay and they people show me the their pets <laughs> yeah. that are dressed up and named after ascension characters i mean you know there's all kinds of levels where people are really clearly just passionate about the game and it's, and it's an awesome thing for me growing up and being passionate about games to be able to contribute that but one of the coolest things is like not only getting to make the custom art for you but we gave you an early copy of Storm of Souls, I think it was at the time. So awesome. So much fun. To help give give some credibility to the idea of why the hell are you filming you playing Ascension with your girlfriend, which was <laughs> awesome. 
the way you like, I don't know what kind of professional like video editing or background you have, but the way that you like frame that whole shot and that everything was set up, it was just so perfect. And that's why it's so great. Anyone that has not seen this YouTube video, definitely check it out. Like you can't help but smile and, and like get some <laughs> tears in your eyes. It's such a great experience. So I, I was I was so happy. And I, I tell that story all the time. Ring of Gerd. <laughs> Lifebound construct. <gasps> what does it say? What is that? Are you see? <laughs> Will you marry me? <laughs> Are you serious? No, it's a joke. Yes, I'm serious. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. I love it so much. The way I just totally lied to her was that I had talked to you all and got the rights to play test and you were using me as official play tester and it was a pre-release even though everything else was pretty much done. And what did the team from Gary Games need, now Stoneblade Entertainment needed, was it to be right away so I was going to film it and send the footage to you all. So she thought, oh, okay, we're just play testing this and it seemed like it was a big enough deal for her because we both love Ascension so much. So she was not suspecting at all. And it's hilarious when you read the comments in the YouTube video because some people say, this is obviously set up. This is rigged. Why would he be filming it? But it's so hilarious because 110% legit. And if you don't think it's legit, you can't hide your physiology. Here's a little Easter egg. Look at the color of my skin before she pulls the card and after she pulls the card, because I go from my Anglo-Saxon glow-in-the-dark pale skin to fiery red because I'm so scared and it's so intense. I loved it. Thank you so much, Justin. Oh, yeah, man. Big my deal. pleasure. I'm glad that, uh, you know, we get to still stay friends all this many years later. And yeah, like I said, it was an honor to be able to participate and be a part of that. If you ever stop by my house, too, you will see both versions of the Ascension cards, the one I used to actually propose and the one that's in the game, playable in the game framed all along the house so i really appreciate that but enough about me we want to know more about you because in today's episode i want to get to know justin gary more because i know you have a book that is out is it out now or yeah about to yeah come out? it just it just released uh, on september 9th and it's available on amazon or on uh the website think like a game designer.com or barnes and noble or any anywhere major books are sold let's just jump right into it then let's talk about how you got into gaming, because from my memory, you come from a background of Magic the Gathering. That is correct. To go way, way back, right? I mean, I, I grew up gaming around the family dinner table, I'm sure like a lot of people in the audience. My dad was a huge player, and he would play, we'd play Sorry and Monopoly and, you know, all those kinds of games with the family, and that was a real good way we all kind of bonded together. And so I, I had a love of games since I was very, very little. But where I got serious about games was definitely for Magic the Gathering. The way I got into it was kind of funny because I guess this sort of plays into my gaming slash competitive instinct. I was playing in a competitive laser tag league. <laughs> <laughs> yes, nerd alert. So it was, a, it was called Laser Storm and it was like a little area we would go and we would play. It was really cool. And actually our team ended up going on to like win the national championships and do all kinds of crazy stuff. People took it pretty seriously. Anyway, that was super fun. But in between rounds, like while you're waiting for your team's turn to go, people would be playing Magic the Gathering. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, what's this? Kind of got some cards and came in with like my deck of all the cards I owned and got my butt whooped and then came back with like, oh, only, maybe I'll only play two colors. And then 
got my butt whooped again. And then eventually I started doing pretty well. And then I basically went to a tournament, did really well in that tournament. And then I went with a bunch of the guys to the state championships that year. And I won the state championships. And then that sent me to the national championships. And then I won the national championships when I was 17. And that suddenly now put me into this kind of pro tour circuit. uh, And I started making money and traveling around the world playing Magic the Gathering. So that was a pretty big like catapult into the into the gaming world. Let's quick jump to the present day. You still play Magic much? Unfortunately, no. You know, it's one of the things that we, you know, we can get into this as, as much as you like. But one of the, the downsides of making games for a living is I don't have a lot of time to play games that I don't work on. And if I do play a game, it's really about trying something new and learning something new from a new game rather than playing something I know. I mean, I know magic like the back of my hand. And I still will look at new when new sets come out. I will look at the spoiler list, talk about it with my team and kind of, you know, process it as a research thing. But honestly, I just haven't had the time. And I would love to play again. And and it's still a goal of mine to play someday. But I was, you know, one of the best in the world when I was playing. Won a pro tour and a world team championship. I was pretty good. But that requires a lot of work and attention. You know, that doesn't just happen overnight. You really got to play test and work with the cards and put a lot of effort in. And so coming back and just kind of playing casually is very hard for me because I'm way worse when I don't put the time and attention into it. So it's very hard for me to approach it as a kind of casual experience. It's one of the downsides of having kind of played at that level. It's the same thing with a sports player. I mean, if you're not practicing day in, day out, then you're not going to be as up to snuff, especially if the game's changing throughout the years, like Magic the Gathering. But let's go back to the story. How did you go from being a Magic champion to deciding, you know what? I'm going to start designing games and making them on my own. Yeah, that's a great question. It was kind of something I always kind of did on the side, just kind of for fun. I'd play around with game ideas and jot stuff down in my notebook, but nothing nothing too serious. I actually went to law school. It was after I took a year off of after college, graduating college, and played Magic for a living and did really well. But I had already been accepted to law school at NYU, and that was kind of the path I was going to go on. This is a story I do like to tell pretty often because, you know, that was, even though I made a living playing card games, it was never really something I expected to do for a living for the rest of my life. It was always my parents were lawyers. I was always kind of supposed to be a lawyer. And so that was just my path. I finished my first year of law school and I did okay, but honestly, I was pretty miserable. It was just not what I wanted to do. Fortunately, because of my success in magic, I got contacted by a company called Upper Deck that summer to come an intern in San Diego to work on the Versus System trading card game. Basically, because I had some background, they said, hey, look, come out for the summer, help us make sure this game's balanced and not not too broken, and you can go back to law school. I was like, okay, summer in San Diego playing games, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm in. I did that, and I loved it, and had a great time, and did pretty well at it, and uh, they offered me a full-time job at the end of that process, and I had a really tough decision at the time, which was, do I stay in law school and finish law school, or do I quit and come and move to San Diego to be a game designer? And it was a very hard decision. My mom cried when I told her about it, but I... She cried because she wanted you to follow in the family footsteps of lawyering? You know, it was, she just wanted me to be secure, right? If I have a law degree, I can always make money. I can always kind of have something that's a more standard, respectable path. But I, you know, chose to come out here and uh, move to San Diego and and follow game design. It was the best decision I'd ever made. I tell this story a lot because I think it's important for people to know when it comes to a choice of following your passion and doing something that's unconventional, you're going to get a lot of resistance. There's a lot of forces out there that are going to push you to follow the straight and narrow path and do the things that's expected of you. And in my experience and the experience of tons of people that I've spoken with, 
following that passion and, and really being able to take some risks there is critical to living the life of your dreams, which is really what I feel like I have right now. Fate favors the bold, as they have always said. So that's a really smart strategy for Upper Deck to go ahead and try to recruit magic champions. I'm imagining it's almost like a traveling circus where you're interacting with other magic champions. I'm assuming they probably try to hire other champions as well. Or do you have a close-knit crew of champions that people would know? Yeah, that's 100% right. So I, when I first started Stoneblade, which was Gary Games at the time, you know, I, of course, I recruited a lot of the top champions that were out there that were my friends. So, you know, Brian Kibler, Rob Doherty. I brought in, you know, other talented people like John Fiorillo and, and a ton of other people who I knew from the Magic community who I knew were smart, talented, hardworking, good at games, and able to get stuff done and had some notoriety to help with kind of getting the word out as well. So having that network was critically important. And of course, yet a lot of those people, pretty much everybody I mentioned, makes a living in the game industry now in one way or another. Any of those individuals work with you at Upper Deck or did you just scalp them once you started Gary Games, now Stoneblade Entertainment? Some of them worked with me at Upper Deck. Brian Kibler worked there. I worked with Patrick Sullivan there, who also was a member of our team for a while and now is working at another game studio. A whole variety of really talented people that came through those doors at that time. And I want to just add a little note here because there's two things. Sometimes you tell stories like this and they can be a little discouraging for people because they're like, oh, well, I'm not a pro tour champion. I, how am I going to be able to get in the game industry? How am I going to do this? And it's, it's not just about being a pro tour champion or being a, a top player. There's lots of ways that you can build communities and contribute to communities to be able to get involved and find great people. And that can be writing online articles, doing reviews, creating a podcast. <laughs> hey, going to conventions, volunteering, being a part of the, you know, there's tons of ways that you can be a part of the community and put yourself around the kind of people who are passionate about what you're passionate about, be a great person to work with, show that you're, you know, you're able to add value. And that's really, I, I talk about this a lot in the book about how to really, you know, get a job in the industry, how to get noticed, how to break through the noise, how to really like become a part of the community. There's tons of lessons along the way that come from this that just because you're good at playing games, I was good at playing games when I got hired, but that didn't mean I was good at designing games. I actually had to teach myself the skills of creativity and learning how to be creative. I never really thought of myself as a creative person. And it's actually one of the reasons I wrote the book. Like Think Like a Game Designer is about taking that myth that there's creative people and there's not creative people and just like punching the myth in the face. There is a step-by-step -step learnable process to be creative to whatever your dreams are, whether it's making games, starting a company, writing a book, anything that you want to do, the process of creating something new is very well understood. And it's something I try to break down in that book so that other people can learn this a little easier than I did. Here's what I really like. What you're talking about right here seems applicable more to just trying to get a job in game design. It sounds like even what you said already, go for your passion rather than the safe thing. That doesn't apply to just people who want to get into the game industry. That applies to pretty much anyone in life in general. So is there those kind of nuggets of knowledge in your book, Think Like a Game Designer, that transcends just specifically trying to become a game designer? Yeah, that's 100% right. The first couple of chapters in the book will apply to you regardless of what kind of industry you're interested in. It talks about the psychology of being able to break out of your comfort zone. It talks about fear and uncertainty and how do you go overcome obstacles and how do you move forward and how do you come up with new ideas and decide what you want to do and how do you like test those ideas and iterate on them, right? That's stuff that everybody needs to do no matter what you're doing in life. And that stuff really applies. It goes into nitty gritty details later on about stuff for specifics to games. And then it talks about getting a career and how do you set deadlines and hold yourself accountable and 
There's a lot of what I would just call general life lessons that are interwoven in the book, along with detail-level exercises about specifically making games, getting noticed, publishing a game, getting hired by somebody, all that stuff as well. Let's go back to the original question, back to the story. You are working at Upper Deck on the Versus card game. What happens? What's the leap to go into your own company? I was working on that game for a couple of years and really was able to lead design my own set, the Infinite Crisis set for DC. And then eventually I wanted to create my own product. And so I started working on the World of Warcraft miniatures game. And I was the lead design on that. And I worked on it for a couple of years and actually realized that they had a product manager that was trying to get the game made. But Upper Deck is well known for making cards. They've been making trading cards, baseball cards, and card-based games for a long time, but they didn't know how to make miniatures games. So I had a really a game I was really proud of. I designed, it was ready to go. But the product managers, we actually went through two product managers who could not get the game made, like couldn't physically get it done. And so they were going to kill the project. And so I was devastated by this. And I went to my boss and I said, listen, can I just give me a chance? Like, let me try to see if I can figure this out. They didn't have anything to lose, really. So they said, okay. So I became the product manager. And I actually flew to China and found the factory and inspected the factory and worked on figuring out how to get miniatures and like just kind of learn step by step how to do this to get that actually made and done. And then once the product was figured out and I could figure out how to get it made, I became the brand manager. I did the marketing. I did the sales. And we got that product out the door. And it was not easy. Uh, It took a lot of work, but I was really excited to get it done. But then by the time I got to the end of that process, I kind of took a breath and put a lot of effort in. And I was like, wait a minute, now I know how to do everything, right? I know how to create a product. And so I said, well, okay, why why am I here? I mean, I'm sure I can figure out how to do this elsewhere. And I wasn't super happy the more I'd grown up in that company, the CEO of that company. Now there's plenty of legal paperwork to back this up, but he was not that great a person. And I didn't like working for him. And so I said, look, worst case scenario, if I quit, I saved up a little bit of money. If I quit and it doesn't work out, I can always go get another job. So I said, okay. And I quit and started my own company. About a year, year and a half later, uh, I released Ascension and basically took, I made a little bit of money from some consulting work I'd done. And I pretty much invested everything I had, all my life savings in trying to get Ascension out the door. I often joke with people, I'm like, well, if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to build my house out of Ascension boxes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, the response was phenomenal, better than I had anticipated. And that kind of like launched the company. And that was eight years ago. I'm still totally biased, but Ascension is still to this day my favorite deck building game. But that's just one of the games. You mentioned the WoW Miniatures game, which by the way, bravo, because oh my goodness, those things were gorgeous. But let's just do a real fast lightning round here. As quick as you can, think of this as a game in of itself, a challenge. Could you name every single game that your name has credits towards? Whoa, that is going to be a challenge. Well, let's see how well he can do in just 30 seconds. How about that? You ready, sir? Okay. Too bad, because here we go. And all right. Versus system trading card game, World of Warcraft miniatures game, Hero 108 Kingdom Crashers, Ascension. I'm not going to name expansions because there's too many of those. Uh, Soul Forge, Bad Beats, You Gotta Be Kitting Me, Shards of Infinity, uh, Redakai, uh, we have uh, the Breakthrough game uh, with the Wharton School of Business, the Startup game. Stop! I have so many questions in that because I remember seeing Redakai in bargain bins and the cartoon was coming out. I have so many questions, but we don't have all that time. I may have to call you back for this. But here's my next question that I'm dying to know because I never heard the answer for this. Why switch from Gary Gaines to Stoneblade Entertainment? Sponsor! 
about your stuff, but only if we like it. Ha ha ha! Oi there, it's me again, Captain Chessbeard. I'd apologize for taking over this here voyage, interrupting, but I'm not sorry, <laughs> because I want to talk to ye all about what I be finding on this ship, the Tuesday Night Podcast. You see, I be sneaking around behind Alan Gearding's back and Sean McCoy's, and I'm digging through some of their secrets, their own beta games, prototypes, you see. <laughs> now, I'd be a build rat indeed if I didn't share me discoveries with ye, my crew. So, what have I found? I found... What's this? It's a game by the names of... Uh, two Rooms and a Groom, alright. That's be an expansion for Two Rooms and a Boom. Alright, what else have we got in here? Yeah. Oop! Ah, Jennifer Abulli's Tooth or Bear. Well, that's an unpublished game indeed. <laughs> mm, looks beautiful. Uh, what else we have? Hensy uh, will shiver me timbers. I believe that be the fourth game by Tuesday Night Games. Maybe Slow Cabin Boys, those two. Mm. Mm, and what else do we have here? Dragon's Head. <laughs> that's a... Uh, Trick-taking game, ah, yeah. We've played that with some of the scurve that be in the brig. But you know what I have to say about all these prototypes. They be looking gorgeous. All sorts of different size. Hensy is a game with these big round cards. Or I be a simple captain, uh, Captain Chessbeard, and I can tell you they're beautiful. And they're bridge-sized cards and mini cards and all sorts of different cards and boxes alike. Uh, there's a variety of cards and boxes, and that's all thanks to thegamecrafter.com. That's right, the Tuesday Night Games Group buys and publishes their beta games through thegamecrafter.com. And it not just be for prototypes, beta games, no, you see, it also be for games that individuals like ye may want to publish on your own small runs instead of thousands on the doubloons. <laughs> well, I've done me part. Enjoy the rest of the interview with Justin Aguirre. <laughs> Why switch from Gary Gaines to Stone Blade Entertainment? The switch was made because I honestly, when we were first sort of shifting and growing as a company and we were launching Soulforge and we were something like near 30 people in the company, Gary Games, I felt like was a little bit too, too ego driven for my tastes. You know, it made it seem like everything was all about me and it's not. It's a company that has a lot of amazing, talented people in it and all of them right. contribute to making something awesome. When we went from like Ascension, which was kind of just the first game we made, and we started launching something else and started launching multiple products where the company brand was going to be more important. Gary Games was something we just came up with quickly. Like Ascension was coming out and I needed to make a company name. And I liked Gary Games was kind of cute because the logo was GG, which gamers know. Good game. Good game. And so that was it. That was a, that was all the thought I went into. It's like, okay, cool. It's my name and it's got a cute logo and it plays with a gamer trope and that's it kind of as we were going to become a multi-game company and be something that was going to grow and live for the long term, we wanted a name that was more about the company and the brand and, and not less about me specifically. So that's where Stoneblade Entertainment came from. The name Stoneblade is another gamer slang 
term. The stone blades is like the best thing you could possibly have. That's kind of where the origin came from. Here's the other thing. It's no longer Gary Games. It's Stoneblade Entertainment, meaning you traded in the moniker Games for Entertainment. Correct. Is your book under the guise of Stoneblade Entertainment, or is that something totally independent of the company? Yeah, no, the book I went with a, 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 a normal book publisher uh, called Aviva Publishing. So it's just published sort of more sort of standard channels, not uh, part of Stoneblade. But the idea of going into entertainment was that we were growing more things about the company, right? We had a digital games division. We have our intellectual property that I still do want to turn into other media. I'd love to do comic books and books and who knows, you know, what other cool stuff we can do. I mean, Ascension, like I, you know, I put a lot of work into the Ascension story and now it is eight years deep and we're working on year nine, year 10 story arcs. And there's a lot of really cool stuff going on that most of our audiences don't even know, frankly. And so being able to like tell those stories, we, I'm really proud of the stuff we've done with Shards of Infinity and the worlds that we've created with that. I would love to have our worlds and our stories be told in other ways besides just games. That is another reason why the entertainment tag is more appropriate. So you say you want entertainment and you're going into different forms and you mentioned digital, Soulforge came out. Now, before I ask you any more about Soulforge, let me tell you my honest and I don't mean to be hurtful. I'm going to give you some sweet and I'm going to give you some sour. All right, hit me. Soulforge, one of my favorite games of all time. When I played Soulforge from the first time I played it, when you were demoing it at either Origins or Gen Con, I was hooked. People were getting into Hearthstone at that time. And I was one of those people that said, hey, Hearthstone, cool. It's a Magic the Gathering clone type, but Soulforge way better game. And I fought tooth and nail with some people, almost reminiscent of like the Nintendo versus Sega days back in the late 80s. Like, oh, it's Soulforge. But my main complaint about Soulforge, and I think the reason, in my opinion, that Hearthstone is such a behemoth now, besides the fact that it comes from Blizzard, which is obviously a huge behemoth company, is it has all of this programming and coding backing. It runs smooth as a baby sometimes. And in Soulforge, Sometimes I'd have to wait 30 seconds for it to be back to my turn when I was going against the computer. And I couldn't help but tell myself if it was instant, if it was instant and smooth, man, this would be the game I play all the time. So what's going on with Soulforge, that being said? I think you hit the nail on the head. And, you know, I've talked about this before. I mean, I think from, a, you know, from a game design perspective, and again, for those of you that don't know, Soulforge is a game I co-designed with Richard Garfield, the creator of Magic Gathering. It's something that's like one of the proudest moments of my life is being able to work with him. You know, he's been an idol of mine forever. I'm super proud of the game mechanics, and that's something, that's something we just really did well. It was a game that was... Hearthstone is a fine game, but it's pretty much a ripoff of the games we've already... We know pretty well, right? right. It's, it's basically, right. you know, gain energy occurring, tap, play creatures, creatures fight. Actually, I worked on the World of Warcraft trading card game, which is what's kind of the inspiration for that. Soulforge, the cards transformed. It was designed from the bottom up to be a digital game first and had a lot of really cool stuff going on. But, you know, you might have noticed a thread in some of my stories is that I am very much an action-biased person. And what that means is I'm going to go forward even if I don't fully know how to get to the end. One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King is, you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step. I Ooh. will regularly move forward and say, look, I'll figure it out as I go. 
just like I had to do with the World of Warcraft Miniatures game, just like I had to do when I quit Upper Deck. I didn't have right. a plan of how I was going to start my company or what I was going to do. I just figured I'll just do it and I'll figure it out. Jumping into the deep end right off the bat. And it's always worked out pretty well because the costs are, you know, whatever. Even if you fail, you just figure it out and move forward. Same thing with writing this book. I didn't know how to write a book or how to get it published or how to do any of that stuff. I still don't. You know, I just kind of got to get to every step. Like, okay, it's launched. Now what? But with the digital side, I went with the same approach, right? Okay, well, I know how to make games. I understand some of the basics of digital stuff, and so I'll hire programmers and I'll get it done. And the truth of the matter is that we fell down a bunch of times. Not to say that we couldn't have overcome it, and I think we, you know, SoulForge was doing very well at a certain point. We had a lot of users, we had a lot of players, people were excited, but we couldn't keep up with that, the technological debt that we paid. We couldn't get the game to run smooth with that many users. We couldn't get the game to kind of be where it needed to be and, and develop it as fast as it needed to develop because people weren't patient. And fair enough, right? They have Hearthstone was out there around the same time that we launched. It launched just a little bit after us. And they had millions and millions of dollars. And they had been working for six years in a company that is arguably the best in the world at creating polished games. Yeah, it's it's Goliath. It's the de facto Goliath story when it comes to digital entertainment. We were the David and the David and Goliath story. And unfortunately, this time we didn't win. There's certainly a lot of lessons I learned from that. I take ownership of the technical failings that we had. I just didn't know what I didn't know. But that being said... I remain proud of what we created. There is still a version of SoulForge that's live right now that people can play for free. Um, it's actually run by fans. We still host the servers, but we let fans run it and update it and keep it running. And I am still working in the background. I am not. There's no no timetable around this yet, but I have been working actively with my team about a way to bring SoulForge back. Oh my goodness, because that was going to be my question. It's a very selfish question, but man, I love me some SoulForge. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. For the knaves, knights, and listeners alike that don't know Soulforge, this is the big deal with Soulforge. When you play a card, it levels up, and that's something you can't do in physical card games. So if I play a level one card, the next time it gets shuffled in my deck and comes out, it's now at level two. And just imagine creatively what you can do, because there's the I win characters, as I like to call them, where they don't do jack shit in level one and level two, but if you get them to level three, oh man you basically win. It's incredibly smart. And then you also have the rushes where they're incredibly powerful at level one, but suck at level three. Anyways, I'll stop crushing on you and Soulforge, but you have a lot of obvious experience and diving into the deep end of the pool, good stories, some bad stories in there mixed in, but all of them valuable lessons. So at what point did you start writing your book? At what point did you say, you know, maybe I should write this and share this with individuals? Well, those are two different questions. When I said I started, I started thinking I would like to write a book. It was a while ago. That was probably about seven or eight years ago. When you start working on games and start doing things creatively, it's not like obvious what you're supposed to do. And just because I was good at playing games didn't mean I was good at designing them. And so I had to like teach myself. And I interviewed a lot of really top game designers. I read a lot of books to try to figure out what is the creative process? How do I do this well? And when I finally kind of distilled that in a way that made sense to me and I was able to practice it and have some success, I was like, hey, you know, I bet you I could teach this to other people. Like, cause I come at things from a very analytical perspective and I never thought of myself as that creative kind of person. And so I thought it'd be really nice to kind of write that down and give it to other people who might think like me and love playing games, but feel a little intimidated by the process of creating them. So I've wanted to write the book forever. Now, when I actually started writing the book uh, was about three years ago, and I finally decided to just commit to a writing habit, and it was like 20 minutes a day, and I would just write for 20 minutes a day, no specific agenda of when it was going to be done, but just kind of make sure I made progress every single day till I could get a book 
ready to go. When did you usually write? Was it right before bed, first thing in the morning or during lunch breaks? What, when was your usual 20 minutes? Uh, usually first thing in the morning. I'd wake up, have a cup of coffee, read for a little bit, meditate, write. That was my morning routine every day. And did you feel that writing 20 minutes in some way was very therapeutic in that it gets your mind right and helps you start the day just like your coffee and meditation? Yeah, absolutely. I find the writing habit to be incredibly valuable and I still maintain it now. Most days I will still do the 20 minutes of writing. And that is both for, I do an email list. So anybody that is interested in any of the stuff we're doing on uh, stoneblade.com, you can sign up for our email list where I'll write game design tips or info about our games or behind the scenes stuff. Uh, I'll write articles for other magazines, or I'll just write stuff that interests me. You know, I have a lot of articles on my website, justingary.com, that talk about all kinds of stuff. I talk about Bitcoin, I talk about philosophy, I talk about morality, I talk about just whatever is interesting to me, because I just really like the process of writing, because I think forcing yourself to write down your thoughts makes you clarify them in ways that you just don't. Like, you may think you understand something, until you try to explain it to somebody else, until you try to write it down right. and, you, and you realize, wait, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And then it just forces you to really be clear, even in your own head. You've done it again right there. And I hate to interrupt, Justin, but I'm a psychology professor. That's my real identity, my day job. That is what I try to teach my students all the time. Following along is not the same thing as knowing. And the best way to know if you know something is if you can teach it to someone else or write it in your own words. So valuable lesson in life. Again, that is very well said. And I've noticed, by the way, when you started picking up, because I've been a subscriber to Stoneblade, and I've noticed since your book has been announced and been released, there's been a lot of meteor articles that have coming out with some nice reading material within them. It's been great to be able to kind of finally publicize this stuff. It's been actually just a great way for me to be able to bond with my audience and fans a lot better. You know, like, in fact, you know, even uh, I have a a call that's going to be happening with everybody that pre-ordered my book. We're doing a live webinar, kind of Q&A group discussion thing happening where I get to just kind of talk with them and answer their questions. And being able to do that sort of stuff is really great. Usually I only get to do it at conventions, right? When I'll go to something like Gen Con or I'll be going to PAX Unplugged later this year where I can talk with fans and really interact. And it's it's wonderful on, on, on multiple levels, like just getting to sort of know them and, and hear what they think, both the good and the bad, just like you, you know, giving me the, the sweet and the sour as well as just being able to understand more about my my audience and more about what people want and what's out there. And so now I can do that a lot more through my writing. People reply. I read all the replies to the emails that I send out. And I get to you know just learn a lot more and, and connect a lot better. So it's, it's really been already just been a really rewarding process. And the name of the book is Think Like a Game Designer by Justin Gary on Amazon right now. Am I wrong? Or am that I right? is all correct. Yes. Here we go. This is the tough question time, if I haven't already given you one. What is the best experience that you've had in the gaming industry? And what is the worst experience that you're at least willing to share? I mentioned I won the U.S. National Championships when I was 17. This was like a really cool thing for me and like kind of launched me into the, into the gaming world more seriously. And then that year, we went to the World Championships, and I was representing the United States. This is my country. I'm representing them. We go to the World Championships, and my team does not do super well. The U.S., for the first time in history, did not win the World Championships. Prior to that, the U.S. had won every World Championships to date. And so I became the very first U.S. national champion not to win the World Championships. 
And that oh, like man. was a pretty devastating thing for me. Like I took that very personally. And it bothered me. And even though I was sort of personally successful in what was going on, it was something that kind of stuck with me. And year after year, I was like, man, I wish I, I could correct that mistake. Fast forward in 2002, the U.S. loses the championship again to Germany. So this is now the second time. And so that actually ended up being a little bit of weight off my shoulders. Right now, at least I'm not the only U.S. national champion to right. lose. Right. Misery loves company. Keep on going. I'm liking this story. But then the very next year, the 2002 into 2003, I make it on the U.S. national team again for the first time since 97. So I wasn't the champion, but I made the team. The year after the U.S. just lost, and the World Championships is in Berlin, where Germany had just won. They've got the hometown advantage. Correct. So now I have an opportunity to potentially right the wrong and win the World Championships back to where I, to the U.S. and undo- This the, is such a good story. This is such a good story. To Keep try going. To undo this stain that's been on my record, it's been on my career since the very, very beginning, since I was 17 years old. And so I actually flew out the other two members of the U.S. national team to Boston, where I lived at the time, flew them out for a month to test before that event so we could make sure that we knew what we were doing. And we fly out there and we compete and it's like just very close, very tough, and then we make it into the finals. And we're playing in the finals for the world championship title. Stressful and we're going back and forth. One of my teammates wins their match, the other of my teammates loses their match, and it comes down to the final game for me to determine if we win the world championships or not. <laughs> and this, like, you know, I just, I am like so focused on having to try to win this match. And I get to the final game and I have to mulligan. Now, mulliganing, so I'm down a card for those who don't know, so it's like a big disadvantage. And then I draw my hand and I look at it, it's actually like a pretty good hand. And I start playing it out, and then, like, as that game progresses, I realize, like, I'm gonna win. it, win the championship, this huge wave of relief, and able to sort of close that circuit uh, of my career. Uh, and so that was really one of the highlights for me. And you put that ghost to bed. Yes. Oh my goodness. This sounds like an 80s Rocky movie where <laughs> the audience starts cheering your name, even though it's their home advantage, like out of Rocky Four. <laughs> that is an incredible story, Justin. I can't beat that at all. The only story I was going to tell you is that I owe a lot of where I am in the gaming world so much to you and Ascension because when I did the proposal afterwards, people started recognizing me at trade shows like, hey, you're that dude that proposed to that lady. It's like, yeah, that was me. And then they started asking me to do Kickstarter videos for them. So I did videos for Dead Men Tell No Tale for Minion Games and Eighth Summit used me for a couple of their games like Run, Fight or Die. And that gave me the confidence, much like not even to that level, but much like your experience at Upper Deck Games, 
I basically had that feeling. It's like, you know what? I have some really good game ideas. Why don't I try them on my own on Kickstarter? And that all came because of the recognition that was provided and the confidence that you provided me. And I have a wife that's really supportive. And she says, hey, get in there. You can totally do your own thing. So I got together with my business partner, Sean McCoy. And here I am running this podcast. And we have three games published and many more on the way. So that's awesome, man. I'm so happy for you. It's really it's really huge. Well, that I want to tie into a bow to just end my saga of just crushing on you and really thanking you not only for coming onto the show, but also for being such a huge part of where I am in my present day. So whether you realize that or not, you are forever going to be remembered in my family, as intimidating as that sounds. Well, I, it, it, it means a lot to me. And, and then, like I said, I wasn't kidding when, you, you know, we talked about the story at the top of the show. Like, it is still my favorite memory and my favorite <laughs> experience from making Ascension and making my own game is that proposal and being able to be a part of that. And like how meaningful it obviously was to you guys and being able to share that with you and share that with the world. It's just awesome. I mean, like why I do what I do is to make people happy and give them amazing experiences and something that touches their lives and helps people connect. You have epitomized that so deeply. And then to be able to turn that into a career and into an audience and a community and a tribe of your own, you deserve an enormous amount of credit for it. And it's something that I will always remember. And so I'll, (laughs) I'll be crushing on you right back. Thank you. Let me romance it down a little bit. I also play Ascension on the crapper all the time because of the play deck. So thanks for great toilet times. We're going to do some more games for the crapper soon. We haven't really announced this yet, but we are working on a uh, Shards of Infinity app as well, uh, which for everybody that likes Ascension, pretty good chance you're going to like Shards of Infinity too if you haven't had a chance to check it out. The physical game is out now. The first expansion is coming out. We'll be previewing at Spiel Essen in uh, about six weeks. And the app will be coming out sometime next year because I know how much fun it is to be able to play while you're pooping. (laughs) Justin, I have to have you back on the show sometime because I have so many more questions we didn't get to. I really would love to hear about the relationship with you and Rob Doherty with White Wizard Games and Star Realms and the relationship between Ascension and Star Realms and Hero Realms and all that jazz. Consider this an open door. Come back onto the show anytime you want. A hundred percent. There's lots more stories to tell, lots more cool stuff to talk about. So uh, we'll definitely plan another talk sometime soon. Is there anything else you want to pitch before we part ways? Check out my Twitter at Justin underscore Gary or sign up for the Stoneblade email list at stoneblade.com. We have a new Ascension expansion coming out next month. I've already mentioned Shards of Infinity. Of course, Think Like a Game Designer. You can check it out at thinklikeagamedesigner.com or on Amazon. A lot of new exciting stuff coming. I'm, I'm, I'm always working on eight to 10 projects at once. So we've got releases literally every month for the next six months. I'm glad to hear it. And speaking of Twitter, you can follow the podcast and Tuesday Night Games at PlayTKG. Send us your emails and your own stories and we will knight you. No longer a knave, become a knight. That's podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. And I think with that being said, this episode is... Finished.
49th episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Thank you, sailors, for joining us on this voyage. Special shout out to Delton Brack for co-editing this episode. Justin Gary and Stoneblade Entertainment. TheGameCrafter.com for your sponsorship. But more importantly, the Knaves Knights and listeners like ye who help make this podcast a reality. Please leave us a review on iTunes to give this here little rowboat a nudge off of the coast so that we may set sails further and further into the seven seas of podcasting popularity. <laughs> I'd also like to thank those people who celebrate Chalk Like a Pirate Day and enjoy me. Captain Chessbeard. <laughs> and for those of ye who do not like your very own Captain Chessbeard, well, we've got the brigs, we've got the planks, and you can just keep it to yourself is kind of what I'm saying. Anywho, you be the best sailors that this here captain has ever known. Thank ye, thank ye. Till next we set sail. Gear.